Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church, located in Kenmore, New York. Today's sermon asks the question, is salvation really by grace alone? The Galatian Church, at first, accepted the pure grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then, false teachers crept into the church, and convinced them that grace alone was not enough. In today's podcast, Pastor Justin discusses Paul's response to this false teaching. Let's open our Bibles together today to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, it's on page 1129 in your pew Bibles. Galatians 23, we're going to read the first five verses of this chapter. Let's rise as we hear God's holy word proclaimed in our presence this morning. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we know that all of it is useful for teaching, rebuking, and edification. And we pray that you use all of these three to convict our hearts this morning that we may learn from you the truth of the gospel, that we may put you first and foremost in our lives. Open our hearts and our minds to your teaching this morning. In your name, amen. Please have a seat. What is the most foolish thing you've ever done in your life? I think we could collectively fill volumes. I mean, maybe individuals among us could fill volumes on that topic. It's, it's so great. Uh, I'll never forget a day when I was a teenager. Of course, us teenagers are always wise beyond our years, full of, full of great ideas. And so one of my great ideas is I had a bookshelf in my room at home, and it had a little like fold-out desk with a little lamp on it. It was a fluorescent. I don't really like fluorescents. So I thought, I'm going to take that out. So I unscrewed it, but there was a wire you know, plugged in through the bookshelf into the wall. And I thought, well, I, I don't want to have to take all of the books off the bookshelf and have to move it and then unplug it. And I thought, I have a better idea. So I took out my pocket knife, sliced right through that live electrical wire. There's a loud pop. The knife flew across the room, embedded itself in the wall. I mean, I was lucky to come out with my fingers intact. They still have the knife, by the way. It's, has a really nice scorch mark on it. <laughs> My parents never found out, well, I guess they'll find out now, how foolish I was on that day. And it wasn't too long ago that there were a couple of truck drivers that were driving a 14-foot high truck, and they got to a bridge with a 3-foot, or I'm sorry, 13-foot, 1-inch clearance. And true story, the one driver says to the other, there's no cops around, let's go for it. You can imagine how that turned out. We all do foolish things, and sometimes you look back and you just 
wince looking at your life, right? How could I be so foolish? How could I be so bereft of thought and logic in those moments? Well, what happens if you're extremely foolish and somebody who cares about you sees you in that moment of foolishness? What do they do? If they really care about you, they don't stand by. They lunge at you. They just, no! Do one of those things. They'll grab you by the shoulders. They'll shake you and they'll hiss at you. What were you thinking when you put dish soap in the dishwasher? You don't do that. And they'll do everything. If they love you, they'll do everything to rebuke you in love so that you will realize the error of your mistake and you'll start taking action to correct it. Well, after two chapters, we've covered two chapters of Galatians so far. And we've seen Paul relatively restrained. Paul sometimes can really go off the deep end. For the first two chapters, I think he's really holding it very well uh, in check. But now he's letting his inner parent out in chapter 3. He just cannot help himself anymore. He shoots at the Galatians six questions in a row. Six questions that are astonished, rhetorical, what were you thinking kind of questions to really wake them up. It's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call for us too. We need to, every once in a while, we need to have the Bible slap us in the face and really say, what were you thinking? What are you thinking in the way you're living right now? Go back to Christ. Go back to the cross. And let's get back on track. Think every parent in the world, if we had a dollar for every time we said, what is wrong with you? Uh, some of us would be quite wealthy indeed. But I like Paul's phrase a little bit more in verse 1 here. I like his phrase. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I like that. I'm going to have to remember that. Are you insane, he's saying? Are you out of your gourd? The only way you could do something this boneheaded is if somebody casts a spell on your life and is controlling you or something, like with a voodoo doll. That's the only explanation why you're this dumb in this moment. And their blunder is that the Galatians have forgotten Christ. They've forgotten the whole reason why they came together to be a church. They now listen to these false teachers telling them, well, yeah, what Jesus did for you, that was nice and all, but you really need to do X, Y, and Z. You're going to have to, to, to become saved. You're going to, you're going to have to become circumcised. You're going to have to embrace Jewish culture now. You're going to have to do all these other things that nobody told you when you signed up to be a Christian you'd have to do. But now you have to do them. That's the only way you're ever going to cross the finish line and get into heaven. So yes, Paul is worked up here. And he's worked up because the Galatians have forgotten the core truth of the Gospel that salvation is by grace alone. And if by the time we get through this book and you don't have that drilled into your head, I've done a wrong job teaching it. Salvation is by grace alone. He says, he says I see you leaving Jesus in droves for all these man-made religions of works. Just another man-made religion where it's just all about how much you do, how much effort you can pump out, and that might get you to where you want to go. And you see, when you do that, when you start thinking you can save yourself, you can improve yourself, you can elevate yourself, at that point, you no longer need Christ, do you? Because you've got yourself. 
Reminds me of my own foolishness. Again, we could fill up volumes of the time my wife and I were in Hawaii and we decided to do a little snorkeling off the beach uh, uh, off of Maui. And we're snorkeling there. And I might have shared this story before, but the, the currents and the tides started pulling us back away. And we weren't really paying attention until we started to get really far offshore. And people kept coming up to us, my father-in-law and a friend of mine, they kept coming up and saying, you're kind of getting far away. You need to come back in. We said, no problem. We got this, right? I, I'm not going to blame my wife here. I said, I got this, right? I, I'll paddle us in. It won't be any problem because my manliness was at stake. Except I couldn't. And once we started to try to paddle ourselves in, we realized for every foot we were going in, we were going two out. And later on, we were told that if we got too far offshore, we'd be riding those ocean currents all the way to Japan. There's like nothing off the shore of Hawaii. It just takes you away. But finally, we accepted the assistance of a lifeguard who came out from the shore. He had flippers on, and he, he towed us back to shore. And we had to admit in that moment that our pride was defeated, that we could not do this on our own. We did not have the effort, the strength to paddle in. Well, the Galatians, they began their faith journey in Christ. They began it well, but after Paul left, they started to forget the sufficiency of the grace of Christ. They started to think, well, it's good, but it isn't good enough. It doesn't cover enough. It isn't strong enough. I must do a little bit more. So they took their eyes off the cross, and they started to think, I can paddle my way into heaven. If I just kick hard enough, I can get there. And yet, they were being pulled off course farther and farther away from the gospel. When we take our eyes off Christ, when we stop obeying the first commandment, what is the first commandment? Put God in front of all things. When we stop doing that, we start becoming influenced by different philosophies and self-doubts and distractions. Sin then starts to disrupt our communion with God, that communion that we held so dear once upon a time. We find ourselves floundering in life. Maybe you've ever found yourself like, man, I am so far away from God right now. What did I do wrong? And I guarantee you, you took your eyes off Christ. You'll hear the kind of muddled teaching that is proclaimed by these Judaizers, by these false teachers in Galatians. You'll hear that same kind of muddled teaching in many of our mega churches here in America even today. Some of our smaller churches too. They'll tell you, with a perfectly straight face, will say, Christianity is really all about you. It's all about how special you are. About how God wants to make you feel good. How He wants to fulfill your desires and your dreams in your life. That you even have the agency to change and improve your own life. It's really just a self-help class masquerading as a church. And like the Galatians, these, these so-called churches today have taken off had taken their eyes off Christ crucified. And they've replaced the true Savior with the Savior that they see in the mirror every day. So in response to this false teaching, Paul's opening salvo in chapter 3, the one that we feel is very strong and strongly worded here, it helps to reorient us. It helps to show us who we really should be looking at in this moment. He reminds us that the starting point of our salvation wasn't one day that we woke up and we decided we're just going to become better people. You ever do that? I'm, just, I'm going to become, January 1st comes around. 
We see a lot of this. I'm going to become a better person this year. Well, it's November. Uh, how are those New Year's resolutions coming for all of you? You got another month and a half. Well, we'll start the clock again. We'll see how that goes. It doesn't start from when we just pick up a walking stick and we say, well, today I'm just going to start making that long trek to heaven all by myself. He says, no, the starting point of your faith is Christ crucified. And you cannot forget that. So that's what he's saying through gritted teeth to the Galatians. He says, did Jesus do all of the work for your salvation? Or hey, did you do that? Did you do that stuff? Did you lead a fully obedient life all on your own, all the way to the end? Were you up there on the cross dying for your sins? Does your own blood cover you and make you perfectly righteous? Were you able to absolve yourself? No, of course not. So if you ever find yourself confused and muddled and lost in your spiritual journey, feeling that malaise, feeling that like, where is God in my life? then the first step, as Paul says, is to return to where it all began. Go back to the cross to remember what He did for you, to remember who did all the work and where you line up in the order of things. That Christ loved you and He handed you this complete work of grace. One of the struggles I've seen people have with the Gospel, and this is not just an old old-time thing, this is something that still goes on in the church today, is that people will look at the gospel and they will start to doubt that grace is truly enough to save them. And the doubt comes in this way, that we have this, we always want to have agency in our own lives. We always want to feel like, well, if somebody's helping me out with something, I at least want to do a little bit of it. Therefore, that way I can feel like I had some part in, in achieving that success. And when God turns to you and says, here's my grace, it will save you, you don't have to do anything all on your own. People have a real problem with this, and we start to struggle with that. We may initially receive that grace, but there's a real worry we start to have in our heads that God is pulling a bait and switch on us. You know what a bait and switch is? It's, where it's a sales tactic where they tell you one thing, but it's really just a trick to try to upsell you. It's like when you get a, an ad in the, the paper and it says, Go down to the store November 25th and you'll buy a $400 computer tablet for 100 bucks. And everybody goes down and you get there and the salespeople are like, oh shucks, we, we just sold out. But we have this other model, costs a little bit more, but it's actually a little bit better. Would you like to buy it now that you're all the way here? And they'll get some people that will go, yeah, okay. And they'll end up paying a little more than they wanted. And so we worry that grace is a little bit like that. That God says, well, I'm going to draw them in. I'm going to sucker them in with grace. I'm going to sucker them in with this, this free offer of salvation. But once they're in the door, that's when I'm going to go, aha, you're going to have to pay a bit more. You're going to have to do a bit more. You're going to have to actually earn all the rest of your way. Well, that's not how our God works. Our God is a God of truth, and what He tells you up front is the truth. There's no fine print. There's no lawyer speak. He gives you the grace for free. But see, we expect Him to do that, and then we turn around and we actually do that to God. We do bait and switches to God all the time. We might put our trust in salvation and faith alone right away. But then as time goes on, we go, but maybe I do need to do a bit more. A little bit more to earn our salvation. We actually bait 
and switch so that we switch our method of salvation entirely from grace alone to grace plus works plus whatever. Well, these Gentiles here in Galatians initially put their faith in Christ alone. But not long after, now they're switching it up. They're, they're throwing faith out the window. They're saying it's all about works now. It's all about what I'm doing, about how I'm presenting myself, that I've got to be a good model Jew. That's what I've got to become. And so Paul steps on that wishy-washy attitude here in verse 2 when he asks, did you receive, guys, when you got saved, did you receive the Spirit by either your works or by faith? Which was it? Because it wasn't both. After Jesus died for your sins on the cross, how did you access that salvation? Was it because how great of a person you were? How hard you worked? How much you gave to charity? All these things that the world says that makes you a virtuous person. Or was it just simply by believing what God told you in the first place? If it was faith then, it's faith now. It doesn't switch along the way. We must complete our lives in faith brothers and sisters. We can't change this up. How you were saved, I don't care when you were saved, saved at three years old, saved when you were 30, whenever you were saved, you were saved by grace, you are saved by grace now. It doesn't change. God isn't trying to trick you, and we got to be careful we're not trying to turn around and add more than God already expects. The author of Hebrews encouraged us to stay on this course when he wrote, let us also lay aside every weight, all of the sin that clings so closely to us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Paul goes on in verse 3 to admonish the Galatians even further. He says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? There's that bait and switch thing. Because unfortunately, the Galatians had become the latest members of what I call the church of triharderism. The church of triharderism. The church of triharderism is full of people who look at their need to be saved and they think, well, I can do that if I just try harder to be good. They look at their sins and think, I can get over these sins in my life if I just try harder through my sheer force of will. They'll read the Bible and they'll go, I can be a better person who pleases God if I simply try harder through personal discipline. I think we all fall into this church sooner or later. With that mentality, without all that effort, all that responsibility, you see where, where all that gets put onto? Our shoulders. The church of triharderism is full of people who say, I can do it. I have to do it. I'm the only one who can do it. So I've got to go on alone. Well, you know what also gets put on their shoulders? Failure. 100% of people who exist by the church of triharderism fail to live up to what they're trying to do. They always fall short. They never succeed. We see this mentality inside Christianity, and we sure as heck see it outside of Christianity. It is everywhere. One of the most prominent examples of triharderism in our culture today is actually, weirdly enough, the Mormon church. If you actually go and study what Mormons believe, you'll find that they have a belief in salvation that's like taking what the Galatians believe here and magnifying it a hundredfold. They're all about that. Once they get their faith, Mormons say that they have to then complete 
an insanely complex 12-step plan to earn their way into the best heaven possible. They believe in three heavens, and so they want to get to the best heaven. You want to earn your way to the best? Well, you've got to do all these 12 steps. And so they spend their whole lives with these constant efforts to repent. They go through special rites. They have to obey the church's traditions. They have to tithe faithfully. They have to attend services. They have to obey the church. They have to obey all the prophets. They have to obey all the teachings. Why are they doing this? Well, if you really get down to brass tacks with the member of the LDS church, you'll find out that they, they don't see grace as a free gift that is given to them. Rather, it is a loan that is meant to be repaid. They have to earn, God gives them salvation, but they've got to earn it back. So they spend the rest of their lives working to their salvation. And that's exhausting. They'll never, ever get there. And so if you really push them on that topic, there's this despair that sets in as they see this church of triharderism that I've got to just do more. And maybe God will love me if I do more. Maybe I'll get into the best heaven tomorrow if I do more. Unfortunately, we see that in our churches here today as well. Well, let Paul simplify things for your life. Really easy. He says, you cannot follow Christ under your own strength. It is not possible. If you're going to want to start doing it, you might as well not even start. You cannot follow Christ under your own strength. In the church of triharderism, nobody who tries to do this is happy. Nobody is free. Nobody's really making any progress. Just a lot of people spinning their wheels and becoming more and more despondent. Paul's encouragement, on the other hand, is is to remind the Galatians that not only were they saved by grace, but God continued to give them grace through the Spirit. He says, the Spirit has been doing miracles in your presence. He's been helping you through these times of suffering. Do you remember when you were suffering, Galatians? Who do you think was helping you through that? It wasn't you trying harder. It was grace coming down and bolstering your life. Grace was doing something that triharderism wasn't. Grace was actually getting the job done. So what's important for us as Christians who are often tempted to just try harder in our lives is to remember an important truth. So if this right now, if you're asleep, if you're half asleep right now, wake up. If you only remember one thing from today's sermon, remember this. We aren't just saved by a gospel of grace. We grow by the gospel of grace. It's something that starts, but also continues and also completes. It's the full package. We aren't just saved by the gospel of grace. We grow by the gospel. So we need to apply the gospel to every part of our lives. If you're struggling with something in your life, don't just try harder. Apply the gospel of grace to it. You have a relationship that's in danger in your life? Apply the gospel. How do you get Christ in there? How do you apply what he's taught you in the Bible to that situation? How do you call upon and depend upon his grace for that relationship? That's relying on grace. That's what takes us forward as followers of Christ. So what gives us meaning to our work? Do you just try harder in your work because you think it'll please people? Or do you apply the gospel to your work and you do what the scriptures say? Do everything cheerfully as if you're doing it for the Lord. That's applying it to the, the, applying the gospel to your life. That's relying on grace. It's what, grace is what helps us endure criticism. It's what helps us get through those times of suffering that some of us are in right now. 
Grace is what helps us say no to our sinful passions that creep and grow in our lives. What helps us develop the fruit of the Spirit in us. We were talking about that in our devotions last night. And my kids say, Dad, how do we know that we're saved? I said, well, one of the ways you know is you see the fruits of the Spirit growing. Because you know you have grace in your life. And that grace is growing these things that will otherwise wither and stagnate. Grace is what takes the burden of succeeding in your life off of your shoulders and puts it on Christ. And when that happens, you're going to succeed. You're going to be a victor. And it, takes, it just frees you up. It takes this burden you didn't even know was there, that you felt like you had to go the rest of the way. And said, Christ is saying, here, take my yoke. My burden is light. Let me bear this heaviness for you. Let me help you get all the way across the finish line. Brothers and sisters, let's leave the church of triharderism. There's nothing for us there. Grace is what gives you joy because you know God will succeed where we cannot. Grace will cause us to be joyful as we trust in it, as we depend on it, as we lean on it every day. Foolishness, as Paul says, is abandoning that single greatest help you have available in your life right now and abandoning it for you just trying to do things under your own steam. So let's take a step back today. Let's revisit the gospel. Let's see Christ on the cross accomplishing what we cannot. Let's see the Spirit perfectly applying our salvation to our lives. And let's see grace helping us to grow and mature in our faith and bring us all the way to our moment in glory. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this, this harsh, this stern, but ultimately this encouraging and helpful reminder the Lord, it's not about us. It's not about how great we are, how much we think we can do. But Lord, it is truly about You. It is about Christ on the cross. It is about the grace that You give us through that death and that sacrifice. Lord, I pray that we can surrender our lives to You, surrender it fully and wholly, surrender our relationships and our work, our efforts, our passions, our hobbies, our desires, our goals, Surrender all of that to you so that we may live free, trusting in your grace that will lead us in the right ways and the right paths. Lord, for those struggling right now, Lord, those feeling like they're just not living up to you, Lord, help remind them how much you love them in this moment. How even while they were still sinners, you died for them. That you looked at them from the cross and you saw them with a heart that was just overflowing with love and mercy, and compassion. Not because of who they were, but Lord, how much because of how much you love them. So Lord, help us see ourselves through your eyes. We matter because you say we matter. And Lord, in all these things and so much more, we praise your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To reach out to Pastor Justin, or to request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com, or write to him at Knox Church. 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York, 14217. Join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m., either in person, or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash knoxepc.